Jimmy Z, welcome to Real Talk with Star Scorpio. How you doing today? I'm good, Pete. Thanks for having me on here. Yeah. Yo, Jimmy, I know we've been talking about this for a while, you know, on Instagram. Um, when you're going to come on the show. And for those of you listening or watching, this is my good friend, Jimmy. And anybody I grew up with in high school, I always call my brother too, man. And uh, he's my brother, my Greek brother, right? <laughs> um, yeah, you're in law enforcement. We're going to discuss a lot of things today. But first, I want to get this out of the way. I grew up with um, a friend called Jimmy Zabarellis. And you're Zaffirellis, right? Zaffiropoulos. Zaffiropoulos. Yeah. Yes. So I didn't, when I call you Jimmy Z, because I, I think Jimmy Zabarellis goes by Jimmy Z on uh, Facebook. Oh, okay, okay. So if anyone from the old school is listening, you know what I mean? I don't want them to get confused. And Jimmy Z knows it's not him. But yeah. Okay. Yo, let's get this timeline going, Jim. Um, but one thing I also want to say you were in law enforcement, and one time I seen you in the paper um, with your gun drawn, ETF, right? No. So that, I, I actually never worked uh, uh, ETF. I worked in, uh, the majority of my career was done in investigative units. Okay. Gangs, drugs. That particular one I think you're referring to, mm -hmm. actually, um, the Hadley homicide. Okay. Uh, Back in 2001, yeah, 2000, 2001. And what that particular um, case was, was um, Hadley, Ralph Hadley, uh, distraught with his ex-wife. Mm -hmm. We were going through a difficult uh, breakup, like many people do. Yeah. Um, and he went and murdered her. And it was an awful scene. And uh, then he killed himself, took his own life. And that particular shot that was in the paper, I was the, uh, myself and actually my best friend. Yeah. Well, one of my best friends were the two first officers to respond to that call. Okay. So and heard the second gunshot. Mm. The one where he was killing himself. Wow. So you know the article I'm talking about, right? Because yeah, you know they that. captured you there. Yeah. So the reason I brought it up, though, is because I collect clippings since high school. I've been collecting paper clippings on everything. And I found everything from Paul Bernardo to Michael Jackson passing away to the Pope to Diana. And even I found Scotty Belasco, remember in high school, of uh, a picture of him doing a layup when he was in Ryerson, I believe. And I sent it to him this morning. Then I found one of Hanno. I don't know if you remember Hanno when he was in a car accident. And I took a shot of that. But, of course, the article I'm looking for where Jimmy's in the paper, I couldn't find it. But uh, that's what I was doing this morning. Okay, Jim, where were you born and raised, brother? So, born in Toronto, raised in Toronto, right? Uh, so, born um, and, you know, we jumped around a bit because, like, much like your parents, uh, uh, my parents were immigrants. Um, you know, it was always... Money was always an issue, right? So um, where we ended up settling was Victoria Village. Okay, yeah. So Victoria Park and Lawrence area. And uh, ended up kind of growing up there. Mm -hmm. Ended up moving uh, to Flemington later on. Oh, you lived in Flemo? Yeah, lived in Flemo uh, mm -hmm. for most of our high school time, to be honest. I think around grade 11 and on. 
I was living in Flemo, and uh, now I'm out here in beautiful Whitby. That's yes, it. Yes. Wait, when you were in Flemington Park, was it bad at the time too? Yeah. I mean, we all know the people that were around. It was the same people. It was. Uh, it hadn't. Uh, it hadn't changed over. To be honest, man, I, I have. I can't say nothing about Flemo because I lived there up till ten years ago. Yeah. Okay. I, I you know, I raised my daughter in Flemo. Um, you know, troubles where where you want to, you know. Of course, of course. You can find it if you want it. I've never had issues living in Flemo. It was after my first divorce, which was in 2004. Mm -hmm. uh, I, it was where I knew to gravitate to. It was home. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I bought a condo there and lived there. Like, it's always kind of been, you know, it's 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 your neighborhood. You know what I mean? You know, you know what's going on there. Yeah. You, you know, when you say that, it's kind of crazy because a lot of people, when they find out some areas that we live in, like I live in an area in Scarborough where just down the street, there's a lot of <laughs> everything going on, shootings, this and that. But you would never know. And you know where to avoid. You know what what time not to go out and, you know, things to do. But um, a lot of areas like that in the city, as we know. And Flemo was one of those areas, Jane and Finch and all those areas. But, um, okay. We the VP. Yeah. Yeah, and true. We, we had, there was, you know, right across the street, we had Parkwoods. We had, there was, there was all kinds. That was, uh, that was a, a melting pot of um, every kind of economic level. That is, yeah, yeah. Everything there. Yeah, there was an actual shooting at VP just, I don't even know, this year or sometime. Yeah, yeah, there's been a few things that's happened there. Like, poor kid fell through the roof there. Yeah. There's a yeah. few things that's happened there. Stabbing or shooting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Crazy, crazy yeah. times, man. Okay, now you went to Vic Park, right? Yep. Of course you did, man. I remember. But um, you know what? One thing I forget, though, is if we're the same age or a year or a year younger than me. I'm 74. Yeah, I'm 73. Okay, so I'm you were... Older, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, how was your school experience? What would you What would you say? Uh, you know what? It's funny. Um, VP was, and I, I don't want to get into a big race thing, but VP yeah. was Greek or black. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I was like, and luckily, the Greeks and blacks got along. And oh yeah. We sports together, and we all hung out, and everybody was cool. I, I really liked my. I didn't care about school. Yeah, you know I mean? but I, like to this day, mm -hmm. my best friend on earth is Fonda. I was gonna ask you about Fonda. Wow, they've been friends since grade uh, four or five. Yeah, like, that long. Gone through middle school, high school, everything to this day. Like mm -hmm. we were talking last night. Wow. Uh, yeah, he baptized my first daughter. Like he's uh, that friendship. Mm -hmm that developed there that has been um in my worst times and in my best times yeah. right behind me how could i ever say anything bad about my upbringing there you know what yeah. i mean my life at vp i loved it man i love yeah. it i wasn't okay. much for schoolwork but i loved being there okay okay so two things though now so you touched on fonda because i want to talk about working out um because there's 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 times I remember we were in the gym at the same time, but um, school. So what are you saying? What were your grades like? Did, did you? You know what? My grades were awful until OAC. Okay. And for some reason, I was able to like just kind of turn it on. I remember the day. Yeah. We were playing at Ranchdale. Me and Fonda were playing Burby in grade yeah. eleven or twelve. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, if anybody doesn't know what Burby is, it's the box that's all painted on the schools. And, yeah. <laughs> one-on-one baseball, right? So we're playing Burby and we sit down and he's like, what the hell are you going to do with life? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. What are you going to do? He's like, yeah. I, know. I know I've got to go to university. I go, well, yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he's like, maybe I'll become a cop or a fireman or something like that, as he was thinking, right? But okay. we were still 11, grade 11, grade 12. Um, he was, you know, putting in hours and hours and hours at his dad's restaurant by then. Okay. His, his kind of trajectory was already decided, whether he knew it or not at that moment. Okay. I had no idea. I just yeah. went to the university. Mm-hmm. Very clear. You're going to university or you're working 40 hours and paying. Wow. Yeah. So <clears throat> I went to university and uh, luckily it was that decision that I had to go, that my parents put on me, that conversation. Yes. Yeah. Well, fuck, what are we going to do with life? Mm-hmm. That it was like, it was like almost like, oh crap, I got to get some grades and get into university. Yeah. Yeah. So I ended up graduating university, like in uh, high school, like an 86 or an 87 average. Like I had an academic scholarship. Holy <laughs> God, Jimmy, I didn't know this. <laughs> it wasn't a lot. It was like a thousand bucks. But back then, yeah. it was like three, four hundred bucks. Yeah. It wasn't bad, man. Like it was, it was good. Wow. So, no brainer. I went to York. Okay. I was going to touch on that too. Um, a lot of people went to York that, uh, that we know, but, um, Okay, so you you know what you know what happened to me? I didn't buckle down. I was always good in school, but I was more sports. You know, me and the yeah. volleyball and all that. But um, when it came to OACs, I only took English and gym. I dropped out of everything because it was too hard. Like I dropped out of chemistry with Steve Ch- Chigagos. Uh, I forgot algebra. I dropped them all. All the time, yeah. I used to see them all the time at Joey's. Yeah, Joey's on top. Yeah. <laughs> But you know what? When I smartened up, it was in college. So I got my two OACs, but I went to Seneca College. And that's where I something clicked in. And I was just killing it in college. But that's another story. What did you take oh, in college? A business admin. Good for you. Yeah. Me and this guy, Alim Nathu, man. Um, he went to Vic Park, too. Okay. Now, you're talking about grades. So that's good. I know about that now. But now, let's talk about the gym. Because... I think it was in my last year, we had energetics and all that stuff. And then I started taking working out seriously. So Albert John, you know, Albert was a beast, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So we all used to work out, but I swear there came a time when you and Fonda were really hitting that gym, man. So tell me about your transformation too, because you became a Hulk, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I remember it was probably, so remember we had Benavides. Yes, yes. <laughs> so that guy was a monster. He was big, yeah. I've always had this uh, fascination with wrestling, yep. bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. I love big men. Yeah. The power, the, I, I like it. Besides the fitness aspect, I like just the, uh, the way it looks. And it, this is not a sexual thing or anything like that. It's just, I just like being big. You walk into a room and you demand attention, regardless of what anybody says, yeah. it happens. Yeah. Um, back then we both got into working out and Spiro, his brother, Fonda's brother, right? Already ripped. You know, those those boys came out of the womb ripped. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Those guys, guys, McDonald's and Harvey's and just six packs and packs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, I remember him saying, you know, we should wait till we're 18. So it doesn't stunt our growth. 
Okay. One day I'm over at his house at lunchtime. It's like 16 or 17 years old. And I see he's got the old barbell set with the green York plates. Yeah. Spiro's there just pumping weights. And I'm like, yeah, no, man, let's start working out. And legit, we just started working out and started hitting it hard. We both got into it. We both really, really liked it. And uh, he, he blew up that like, that guy's got genetics for days. For me, it took a little bit longer, but it, it happened when, uh, you know, when I started to, you know, like anything, right? You got to crawl before you run. And, you know, at first, what are you doing every day? You're benching and doing curls every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't know any better. You don't realize that, oh, man, my chest hurts. I probably shouldn't. <laughs> you go do it again and again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then every, you know, Friday night you're going out. Boom, boom, boom. You're going to do yeah. some benching and some curling, right? You're gonna yeah. You know what I mean? And then it it evolves, right? You learn more about it. Like, uh, I remember building a gym in my basement when I lived at my parents and uh, not having a clue. Mm -hmm. Not having a clue what we were doing. You know what I mean? But it was uh, just, it was the learning process. And it was something, it's always something that's been near and dear to me. I love working out. I love lifting weights. I love feeling strong. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm walking today Mm -hmm. legit. And I'm not because of weights yeah the muscle that i was able to put on my body yeah yeah there's something i want to ask later on about um yeah yeah but um but there's also a height difference too i remember fonda there's a couple guys i knew you know che remember che yeah. dj che man he grew late like he Did grew he, in grade 10 or something man. he was done right pardon he got to like he, we grew up che was always down here yeah and, he and then he, then he shot up so mm-hmm. fonda was the same thing when i came into vp Fonda was shorter, but then he grew. But you are like six. What are you? Six. Six one. Six one, right? Fonda's yeah. probably about five nine. Yeah, he's five nine. Okay. Five yeah. Nine. I don't want. I don't want to cut his legs out yeah. when he's not here to defend himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, high school's done. We talked about you went to York. Now, how was your experience at university in New York, and what'd you take? So I took political science in York. At York. Um, I did so because I am always, I took political science uh, for two reasons. Mm-hmm. One, my parents were always talking politics and it kind of did sunk in, right? Like, yeah, it's like, you know, you hear stuff all the time. You, it's going to sink in. You're going to have an interest there. Secondly, I started off in phys ed. Okay. And it's not good, man. It's hard. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, kudos to everybody that could take phys ed and go on to kinesiology or whatever. Yeah. It wasn't for me, man. I was not academically inclined. Yeah. I was going to university to get my dad off my back. Okay. So mm-hmm. that was that was basically it. it and how many me. Yeah. How, so how many years what then? So it took me four years to get a three-year degree. Yeah, that's uh, fine. Yeah. It happens. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of my experience at York. I was in and out, in and out, in and out. I didn't socialize there. I had a few friends there. My friends were all in Toronto, like proper, like Fonda and all, and weekends and during the week, like it legit was, I would go to university just to go to my class or my tutorial and then leave. I had no real bond with that school. Mm -hmm. So. And uh, how old were you when you went? Because you know how it's different now, right? You were talking about OECs earlier and we... 
I, but I'm born in December, so I'm always younger anyways. I think I was like 18 still. Okay. 18 or 19. But like, I was 18, but in my 19th year kind of thing, you know what I mean? Like, you guys would all turn 19, let's say, by then, right? Yeah. No, I'm late born too, bro. <laughs> I'm November, man. There you go. So, you know, you understand what I mean, right? Yeah. The Januarys were already 19. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's, that's so, but I think I was 18. Yeah. So I asked that too because did you have your license by then too? So a little little uh <laughs> little story. Okay. <laughs> and you may choose to cut this out or not, but I, I don't I, I hope you keep it because I think it's pretty funny. Okay. You had the green and then the clear laminated plastic and you had it in your little thing. Yeah. My brother's five years older than me. Yeah. So his brother's three years older than him. Mm -hmm. He went to Victoria Terrace. Yeah. With our brother's IDs. Yeah. In our names so we could get into clubs. Come on, we man. We had real licenses from 16, but just so we could get in. So they take a new picture, give you another pamphlet thing, everything. So we each had two sets of licenses, which yeah. I know is totally illegal. Yeah. But it is what it is. And that's how we got into clubs back then, too. But yeah, oh. I had my license from when I was 16. I got it right 365 days. Bang, bang, bang. Got it and done. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I waited till 18. Oh, that's a crazy story, man. <laughs> that's crazy. We, we, wanted to go, we wanted to be able to hang out with our brothers. We wanted yeah. to be able to go up to the clubs and, and do these things, right? Mm -hmm. When we were 17 years old, we were going to the clubs with 19, 20-year-olds, hanging out and going, holy crap. But yeah, yeah. We did it, right? <laughs> was it the downtown clubs at the time, or was it? Yeah, it was all Richmond, Adelaide. Yeah. And then go up Mississauga to, like, the world. Yeah, yeah, the world. I remember that. <laughs> Once in a while, you hit a palazzo or a paparazzi. Up <laughs> oh, yo, you know what? I'm having a bad memory now, man. Like, not having a bad memory. My, I, I'm forgetful now. Yeah. So there's, mm -hmm. I used to know people's names and all this. So what's funny is when I was looking for a job back in the days, Tony Tassonis got me um, a job at, See, I can't remember the club, man. It was just off Mavis near in Mississauga. But um, I only did two nights. I was a bus boy, and I was like, "This is this is too hard, man. <laughs> I can't do this, man." You're running around, man. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, okay. Now, how does law enforcement come in your life? So I think it was kind of simultaneously when I go to political science. I'm kind of thinking, yeah, I'm going to become a cop. Firemen didn't interest me. <laughs> Policing always interested me. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know why. I, I can't say it's TV shows or I had some friend that was a cop or anything. There was always that very real security in the employment mm -hmm. as being a police officer. Having watched both of my parents be factory workers, laid off, us having to sell houses and move here and do that. I knew yeah. I didn't want that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I knew I needed something stable. Right. And the trade-off for the stability is the danger, but you get this, the, the paycheck never stops. Right? right. So there you go. So that was kind of it. So I knew by the time I was done university, my goals were 100%. I was going to be a cop. Okay. And I knew it back then. And uh, it just, it was like, it really was all I was focused on. Yeah, I had, you know, other jobs at gyms and worked, you know, the nightclubs. At, uh, by then, I was working at, at nightclubs, MFN and Barracuda and stuff. Were you um, bouncing? You were bouncing? 
Yeah, I was working bouncing back then at nights on the weekends. And then yeah. during the day, I actually worked out. At, I worked at the gym called The Workout. They okay. Used to be in Shepherd. I think now it's uh, an LA Fitness or something, but it used to be called The Workout. Mm-hmm. So, you know, between school, that, and then took me about a year to get hired on as a cop. Mm-hmm. I just did those things and made money and paid bills. And that's how I was, how I got there. Okay. Wait, before we get into policing, I didn't. I'm not sure if I knew about the bouncing, man, but tell me a little bit about that experience, man, because, you know, when we used to go to the clubs, you're some big guys and you're a big guy too, man. And then there's... You know, it was a whole circle of guys that used to play football. Okay. Bill Matulis, Bill Missios, um, Mike Bex, all the guys from Northern mm-hmm. and like a bunch of guys that I was friends with through football. Okay. All had grabbed these jobs that were making, we were making like good money. And they were like, hey, if you work the door, you can also get the bribes to get in. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Come on, we'll get you in. We'll get you in. And that was it. It was like, you know, not even a full year of working them. And it was the same owner owned both bars. Mm -hmm. When one bar closed down, you just went to the other one and done. Okay. So it wasn't, uh, there was nothing, there was nothing to it. It was, you know, a bunch of drunk kids. Oh, so no trouble. You didn't see any... Nothing crazy. And there were also guys like... There was like those lifer uh, security bouncer guys that knew how to deal with anything really stupid too, Mm -hmm. right? Never really had to because the last thing I was going to do is put myself in a situation that would compromise my goal. Yes. Yeah. I was never going to do that. I was never going to puff my chest out or peacock or ego or fight anybody. I I had people we grew up with who I don't want to say on this. Yeah. That's how much we both know their names. Pick fights with me. Wow. There and after I became a cop. Wow. And I just be like, yeah, whatever. Man. So yeah. Yeah. Not worth it, man. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now what, what was the, the training light for policing? Because um, I don't know if you want to say what force you joined. Um, okay, yeah. So, so what was that training? Like, cause you know, I have, family members that are police. I have friends that are police officers and you're one of them too. But um, what was that experience? What'd you have to go through? I'm talking about like the psych part of it too. And the yeah, physical, so the physical muscle. Rigorous. Um, I've heard. So my wife um, is also a police officer and she worked in human resources, mm-hmm. um, hiring officers as well. So I've heard that um, there's been focus changes and there's also been um, because of this, um, arguments of discrimination Mm -hmm. Um, some things have been removed like some physical requirements okay yeah i heard about Uh, that things like that when i got in um the biggest struggle was getting in number one because we were on the heels of the bob ray days where everything was frozen i was actually in like the first batch of people to get hired as a police officer after you know the lid came off and the government could start hiring people again Mm -hmm. so i remember calling them you know putting in my resume and back then i don't know if it exists still you had to go to um like it's called prep but it's basically this ats ats testing okay all your testing they send you for psychology uh for psychological they make you write an essay they did math and all kinds of oh really (laughs) (laughs) whatever man yeah yeah (laughs) It's not calculus, it's just yeah. math, though, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, 
once you get your certificate, it's mm. good. The, like the um, academic side of the certificate is good for two or three years. Mm. The physical side, you have to renew every six months. So if it takes you five years to get hired, you're pet spending money every six months on this physical side and every couple of years on this academic side to mm -hmm. keep you eligible. Wow. Okay. So like at the end of the day, it's all money, right? We know it's all money. Yeah. So I was on the phone. Are you hiring? Are you hiring? Like, did you get my resume? Like, to the point, I'm sure I annoyed everybody, right? Yeah. And I said to myself, whoever hires me first is where I'm going to go. Because mm -hmm. um, I was pretty close in the process. I had known I, I'd gone through. Um, so your psychological testing and all that stuff, it's after they actually, it's part of the hiring process. It's not to get your foot in the door. Yeah. So, you know, your foot in the door is you have to have your ATS. You better have done some volunteer work. Oh, wow. Pretty good if you've got an education. Mm -hmm. Good if you can speak another language. Pretty good if you've done some military time. Like, you got to remember, man, this, is, you know, back then it wasn't. When I started, it was 26000 a year. But right now, you're looking at 100000 a year. Wow. Yeah. It's 100000 a year. <laughs> that For 30 years... Mm -hmm. you know, it, it becomes very, very competitive, right? Very, yeah. you better check those boxes. Wow. To get on. So um, I got, finally got the call. And I remember it was Durham that hired me first. And I called my dad. Mm -hmm. um, my dad's my everything, right? He's my dad, right? So, and I'll never forget. I don't know if you've ever been up to Oshawa. <laughs> but Oshawa is a funny, unique place, right? They call yeah. it the British Wa, right? So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I go to sign my papers. I'm ecstatic, you know, like I'm I'm on cloud nine. Yeah. Okay, wait. What year is this? What year? My, uh, that would have been ninety-eight, the end of ninety-eight. Okay. Mm -hmm. My dad's so I I'm sorry, I jumped a little bit ahead and I know you um you had asked me about the psychological. Mm -hmm. By this point, I had done all that stuff. They, I'd gotten to that point where they're like, they sent officers to my house, you know, Greek house. My mom's trying to feed them. You know, the house yes. is flawless. She's trying to feed them. <laughs> um, <laughs> they got the two background officers. Um, they're talking to my mom. They asked me a couple questions. They asked my girlfriend at the time, who ended up being my first wife, some questions. Mm -hmm. um, they went and interviewed all my employers. They went and interviewed people I worked with. They, they, like they, you know, they did their background checks, right? They speak to everybody, right? For criminal records, for tickets, for all that kind of stuff, too, obviously. Um, and I could tell I had a good vibe from them. Okay. Going well. Then they give me the call. You got to go see our psychiatrist, Doctor Brown. I believe his name was. Wow, you remember that. Yeah. Well, you remember things that are odd to you. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. You know, they make you fill out like a 500 question thing. You know, do you love your mom? Two pages later, are you in love with your mom? Wow. Later, is your mom loving? You yeah. know, based on just the little nuances, I guess they can determine stuff. Whatever, right? right. Doctor reads it, says whether you're good or not, and then asks you some physical questions about yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, you you feel head pressure, like stuff that would, I guess, be indicative of mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And then they give you the stamp and you're good. So I remember getting that call. Me and my dad get in the car. 
we go up to Oshawa. Back then, it was the old, I was uh, old headquarters was right down on Simcoe Street. Mm-hmm. Um, we sign, I sign, come back. I'm like, you know, like busting, right, exploding. Like I've got that's it. This, this is what I've worked for. I got it. Yeah. As we're driving down Simcoe, we stop at a red light. My dad looks to the right, and there's got to be about three generations of Oshawites. <laughs> Like 10 in the morning, eh? Drinking beer. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, are you sure you want to work here? <laughs> I'm like, it'll be fine, Dad. Don't worry. Let's go. <laughs> I'm not, like, I'll never forget that day because I was just like looking. And I think we were drinking like 50, like the Labatt 50 or whatever it was called, like the green box. Yeah, oh, yeah. Jesus. Oh, man. Oshawa. Oh. Yeah, wait, so place, man. <laughs> so wait, <laughs> Durham covers Pickering, Ajax, Oshawa, Brock. Pickering, Ajax, Whitby, Oshawa, Owenville, yeah, uh, Newcastle, and then up north, Oxbridge, Scugog, Port Perry. Mm-hmm. Crap, it goes all the way up to Lake Simcoe. Like it's 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 the biggest region. Okay, like wow. wise. Wow. It's, okay. Yeah. Okay. Now. First day on the on the job. Um, then there's three months of police college. Oh, right? so you go off to London for three months. Rewind. Yes, yes. How was that police college experience? <laughs> police college is a funny place, man. Mm-hmm. Because you go in, there's three, four hundred of you. Wow. Each each service has an allotted amount of people that they're allowed. Mm-hmm. They swap seats. If let's say if Toronto has 180 beds there, but they can only hire 160. Mm-hmm. They'll swap out 20 to different services and get those repaid in another class. You know, okay. like get those seats back later, right? Mm-hmm. Back when I went, you didn't have to pay for police college. Now you have to pay. Wow. So you okay. get there and it's basically barracks, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. 13 and a half weeks. Um, it's a pretty good, like it's, it's rigorous, um, you know, every day you got your academics, you need your 75 to pass, you do your uh, your physical stuff, but you get in with a good group of guys. Yeah. You're partying at night, like you're having a good time. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As long as you can make, make sure you better be there in the morning for March. Mm-hmm. You better be in the morning for your run, you better not miss a class, but it's a pretty good time. Like, you you know, my wife, which I would come home every weekend. I didn't mind the drive to London and back. Mm-hmm. I would come home, get my clothes clean. I had my I lived with my parents, right? Like yeah, yeah. I had to eat real food and and then I'll go back there, back to you know, rib cues that they're giving us there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> my wife, who was homeless, mm-hmm. who um, you know, had nowhere to stay, she never came down a weekend and she loved it. She's like, it's the best time of my life. I never had to cook for anything. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. It was it was awesome. So I mean, it's a good experience. Everybody needs to to do it. Um, getting pepper sprayed sucks. Yo, I was going to ask about that, though. Wait, wait. Rewind for a minute. What weight did you go in at when you started police college? So I was probably about 215, 220 then. And to get it into perspective, what are you now? 250. Okay. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, that's I'm 250 on my weight. So, um, you know, I, I just had a baby. Yeah, uh, I didn't have it. My wife had a baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also quit. I, I've um, quit smoking this year. Yeah, my whole life, right? Mm-hmm. I probably put on 
25, 30 pounds. Would yeah. And all the junk food in this house. Yeah. What's being gone and that. So I had actually got up to about 260, 265. Okay. Now I'm bringing it back down. Bring down. Yeah. I'm going to make it so I can take my shirt off again. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Jimmy, I was going to ask about the pepper spray because I heard about it from other people, but I want to know your experience because that's a must, right? You have to get, you have to get sprayed, right? So it's one of those, it's not a must, but if you don't do it, yeah. you're going to be in shit for a long time and treated pretty bad. Okay. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. It's, it, it, you know what, man, you're not going to die. It sucks. And if you're going to do it to somebody, mm -hmm. you better know what it feels like. Okay. Make that decision. To okay. Do it. It's, you're using it. There, there's certain criteria that you would use pepper spray, right? Someone's being assaultive. Someone's, they're not, there's no weapon, but there's physical force. There's, it's a, you know, there's certain criteria. We're taught the criteria. Um, there's a, the use of force wheel. You know when you're allowed to use pepper spray. Okay. Said that. You pepper spray somebody. And a lot of times it doesn't work on people. Wow. Is that when they're on something though? Yeah. You know, or mental health issues. Or mental health. Okay. Yeah. Um, when they're on something or mental health issues is typically when it doesn't work. But I'm not a doctor to be able to say yeah. that. Sure, but in my experience, yeah. <laughs> um, but you're going to do it to somebody you better know what it feels like because you're making a decision to really screw with somebody's brain and it really does have a mental effect it will make you go crazy you better understand what it's doing it is instantly taking away all of your senses Yeah. Um, and um, your fight or flight goes right into effect mm -hmm. People can't control that, whatever's going to happen to them. And they start to hyperventilate. So your breathing is immediately taken from you. Jeez, so, man. You're going to do it to somebody, you better know. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, my experience with it, it sucked, man. They line you up on a wall. They make you go out like Jesus. They spray you in the eyes. And then you have to uh, do a bunch of push-ups, hit a bag. What? And then affect a... Um, uh, uh, an arrest, like with your firearm, mm -hmm. uh, we're using dummy guns, obviously. Yeah. But by the within like ten seconds, dude, you're like this, just holding your eyes open because you can't. Your eyes just automatically slam shut. Yeah. So like you're like this, sitting there trying to catch so, that. So I guess besides knowing what it feels like, because you're gonna do it to someone, and you have to know like the response and all that stuff, you you also might be in a, put in a situation where you still have to arrest somebody or be attentive and all that, right? So you can't be like squirming around, like my eyes, my eyes, right? So you have to be still capable. You might also catch cross blast, right? Like your partner. So there are like uh, terminology that's used. Okay. Province wide where um, I'm not gonna expose it. I don't even know what the, the regulations are about saying it out loud, but yeah, yeah. there is terminology where when you hear it as a cop, mm -hmm. You know that either a taser is coming out. Well, one, there's one set for a taser. Yeah. There's one set for a pepper spray. Yeah. Of words, right? It's like uh, you know, just to use Seinfeld. These pretzels are making me thirsty. Yeah, you yeah. Know, you better know someone's pepper spraying. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and there's a lot of people that suck using it. Yeah. Officers that suck using it, and there's a lot of times it doesn't go where you think, or a wind takes it, mm -hmm. and you may be in a situation where you are grappling with somebody to affect an arrest, 
mm-hmm. officer sprays for some stupid reason. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. And now you're wearing it. Wow. And now you've got to know how you're going to react to that too. Right. right. So that's part of it too. So you can get tagged with it and it wasn't even meant for you and all that. Yeah. But um, one thing I want to know, because I see, you know, you see it on TV shows too and all the stuff. When you do get sprayed and forget about the things that you have to do. If you just got sprayed, you're not supposed to touch your eyes, they say. But can you use water? Is there some solution to make, water. to water. ease it? Water, right? Yeah. Okay. Water. People putting milk and stuff, it's all nonsense. Water, mm-hmm. cold water. When they decontaminate, like even when they decontaminate, you have OPC, you are literally, first of all, the snot's just flying out of you. You've lost all control of everything up here, right? Yeah. You're literally with a garden hose. Oh, wow. And they're just pouring garden hose water. And you're like, <laughs> in the garden hose. And like, it's like, you know, when you're bathing your baby and they're trying to catch their breath. Yeah, yeah. Thing, That's what it is. Trying to catch your breath and you're getting killed with the hose. Yeah. That's the only way to get it out. And then there's no permanent damage to your eyes with pepper spraying. No, the only thing that can happen, and it's not permanent, it's just if you, when I had hair at police college, yeah, um, they tell you when you're going to shampoo that night, yeah. Shampoo forward, shampoo everything back. back. If there's some left in your head, you're going to push it right back down in your eyes and you're going to go through the whole thing again. Okay. Wow. I've never heard of anybody sustaining any kind of permanent eye damage or anything. Mm-hmm. Yo, thanks for that insight, man. Yo, Yo but cool. okay. What about the the taser now? Do you have to get tased to understand? So I can't speak for other services. I know in Durham, if you've got uh, the use of a taser, you've been tased. <laughs> okay wow Durham, that's kind of the instructors again you don't have to but it becomes very um uncomfortable for you yeah if you're going to be carrying a taser and not been tased yeah. <laughs> so i i can be very objective when it comes to policing mm-hmm. and the bad and i've lived through the good and the bad of it um there is an obligation of every officer that starts this job on the right mindset mm-hmm. because yep there are ones that slip through the cracks that don't start the job and there's ones that over time mm-hmm. i would throw myself in this mm-hmm. this point, over time lose um not the desire or the passion for what they did mm-hmm. respect for the job itself Okay. want to be part of it. It doesn't mean that they will neglect their responsibilities or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But it's just like that part. It's a, it's a done relationship. You broke up. You're done. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of people stop to work 15 years with that mindset, which sucks, right? They got to work in that same service with that mindset. Yeah. Or whatever, but they never do. But I really believe there's an obligation on anybody who does this job. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying go shoot because that's what everyone says. Oh, so what? I, I got to shoot myself in the leg to know how it feels? No. Yeah. But within reason, yeah, you should do whatever you're going to do to somebody. I'm not saying take a baton off. The, like things that are going to damage you. Yeah. You know, but the things that we know aren't going to, mm-hmm. there's an obligation. You're an officer. You have the ability to do this to somebody. You should know what it's about. Right. I, I really I, I feel that way. And I've always felt that way about it. Like it's not going to kill you. It sucks, but it ain't going to kill you. I respect that, man. Um, and you know, with the taser, I, I forgot who I heard it from, man, but I think there was an incident at the airport. I don't know if it was the Toronto airport. I don't know if the, the gentleman was high on something, whatever, yeah. but the taser didn't work. So just like you were saying with pepper spray, sometimes when you taste people, it doesn't take too, right? 
So the one I remember was, uh, I believe it was the RCMPs of BC. Mm -hmm. There might have been something already wrong with the man, and the taser actually killed him. It's oh, like wow. Kind of electromagnetic thing in him and stopped his heart or did something. Mm -hmm. but I really think, like, statistically, that's like one in 100 million or 200. And I'm not saying it's good that it even happens once. Yeah. What I'm saying is statistically, it's not uh, the. The other option is a gun. Yeah. So that 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 option is you have zero chance. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because cops yeah. are not trained to, and you know, despite what everybody thinks, you're not trained to shoot somebody in the hand. Yeah. Your adrenaline is flying, your hand is doing this. Mm -hmm. And that's the reality of it, right? You're in the middle of a fight, you don't know what's going on. If you are at the point where you are pulling out your gun and you have got it, you feel imminent death. <laughs> you mm -hmm. feel just talking to you about it, you could probably see my goosebumps. Yeah. Now be in the situation and think that you can shoot someone a knife out of somebody's hand. You can't. You can't. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. So you train center mass, two shots, center mass. Mm -hmm. that, the first one usually stops, but the second one always does. Wow. Mm -hmm. Most, right? So you train double tap, center mass. Mm -hmm. Take the taser away now, make it unavailable. That's your only option. Two shots, center mass. Yeah. The one in a million or one in 10 million or one in a hundred million, I think it's a necessary risk. Mm -hmm. Oh my. I, mean, I don't know. I, it's just my opinion on that. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Um, and now you, you touched on firearms. So how was the firearms training for you? I don't know if you could talk about it. Always let me know if you could talk about it. But mm -hmm. how was that? Um, because I worked in gangs. Mm -hmm. um, I had, I was fortunate enough in that we had monthly training with the TAC team, tactical, tactical. Uh, so the proficiency I have with a handgun, with my handgun, not a handgun, because I'm not even a gun guy. I don't own guns. Mm -hmm. I'm never a hunter. I don't like guns. Mm -hmm. I just want to know that when I'm handling my pistol, I'm handling, I don't even like the shotgun that they used to give us or the, the rifles they give us. I never use them. Yeah. Glock is my Glock. I know how to use it. I can take that thing apart blindfolded. Mm -hmm. uh, that extra training that, so first of all, the training you get at OPC with your gun mm -hmm. is amazing. And wow. then the pointing and shooting is never the, the issue. The issue is the decision making. Mm -hmm. That's what OPC does a really good job of. And OPC being Ontario Police College. Right. Does a really good job at making people understand how the decisions are made between mm -hmm. uh, the use of force wheel, like I was telling you, whether you know pepper spray, baton, physical. Lots of times you can just talk things out. 99% of the time you can talk things out, right? You don't need anything. Yeah. You do. Um, <laughs> regional police has a phenomenal um, training program when it comes to firearms. Mm -hmm. They take it really seriously. They are 10 steps ahead of OPC. Wow. So when you go your yearly block training there, it's ridiculous. Like they're making you do stuff at a level that you never have to do at a police college. It's way above it. Wow. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. I have nothing. Uh, there's nothing bad that can be said about it. It's, it's state of the art. I, I would put it against any program in North America. Mm -hmm. And, and it would absolutely crush, crush it. Like, it really is. Uh, it really is a great program there. 
So there's one thing when you when you get good training in whatever field, just to hear how you're talking, I can understand the confidence level that they gave you helped you for the real world situations to that level, right? So that's that's a good thing. Wow. Yeah, no, it's it was it's really good. It's really good. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now police college is done. <laughs> now, first day on the job. Yeah. Do you remember it? Absolutely. You do. Absolutely remember it. Mm -hmm. uh, remember my first day on the job. I so we work for Durham on the road, you work four days on, four days off, 12 hour shifts. Okay. Uh my coach officer is retired. Uh his name was Vince D'Amico, good guy. Um, get in the car and it's basically he was uh, God, he actually left uh, policing to open up his own um, uh, non-denominational church okay so very um, you know uh, godly individual mm -hmm. get in the car tells me shut the fuck up I don't know anything don't talk unless you have years <laughs> oh my god <laughs> 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 are you serious Absolutely. training 101 you know less than shit is what every coach tells their fucking training mm -hmm. you know less than shit shut the fuck up and watch so you spend three months with the coach officer mm -hmm. first month you shut the fuck up and you watch but you are writing everything you okay. are writing all your notes and doing every report okay if you're lucky they let you drive wow Month two. Mm -hmm. And what their job is, is to expose you to every kind of call. And then they do an actual, like back when I was a coach officer, mm -hmm. we had like a three, 400 page book that we had to fill out. Mm -hmm. Yes, this officer did this call. Here's the incident number. Here's how they did on it, blah, blah, blah. So every time you go to a special call, you find the, the incident number, you find what it matches up in the book. Mm -hmm. Because they're all kind of categorized under certain 10 codes or we had our own nine codes back then too. Yeah. Um, second month, uh, you're, I'm going to just bring back to the first, my first block because on the night, after you get that speech, right? Yeah. This fucking guy. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm losing so much profanity, but it is what it is. It's how yeah. I talk, right? Yeah, go ahead. Go on. <laughs> fucking takes me. And I find out after the fact that like, and I'll tell, I don't want to blow the story, so I'll, I'll tell you that after. Okay. Um, it takes me, we're driving around, it's all night, like it's, a, you know, like you're brand new, you're trying to encompass all this shit. Mm -hmm. So like, you get home from your day shifts, uh, you finish day shift at 7 p.m., by 8 o'clock, your head's on the pillow, you're out, man, you're out and you're getting up again at 6 in the morning. Like, it's just so much information to take in, right? Right, right. So by night shifts, even though you're excited, you're physically, like, it's almost like you've been on adrenaline for three, four days, right? Yeah. So he's got me driving around. He's driving me around, driving me around. We park at this place called Sandy Beach. Mm -hmm. I'm facing the water. And he's just got the music going. And he's just sitting there staring at the water coming in from Lake Ontario. Okay. <laughs> so, so fucking 15, 20 minutes pass. We're still sitting there. He's not really saying much. So I put my head on the window and pass out right like i end up crashing okay falling asleep he fucking gets this close to my ear <laughs> screams that i'll never to fall asleep on the job this is bullshit disrespectful loses his marbles on me yeah i i'm scared shitless now right like my coach officer was freaked on me twice in his first week right? 
then as time goes on and mm -hmm. what ends up happening is the role starts switching, right? You're always doing, as the, the trainee, you're always doing all the paperwork. Okay. You have to do the paperwork and there's tons of it. So you're always doing it. He goes to take a shit, you're writing it. You, right. That's paperwork, you know? Wow. But the second month you start driving, the third month, he's not even talking anymore. You're doing all the talking at calls. He's just watching you. You know what I mean? So it goes totally like this, right? Shadowing now, right? You're I, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. But what I find out in month two where the friendship starts building and we start to like each other and I've met his family and he's, you know, he's met my mom and dad. Mm -hmm. fucking asshole sleeps every night. <laughs> all the time. He drove me around that night to love me just so he could scream at me. Oh my God. He's a notorious sleeper. Everybody knows him. I found out later he used to bring a pillow to work with him. <laughs> The oh my god! <laughs> Wait, and you say you know him to this day, right? You know him still. Yeah. When we had the restaurant, he used to come into the restaurant and eat there, and we're we're still good. Like it's, but he's a notorious sleeper. Mm -hmm. Like, but those are the things. It was a different time, right? Mm -hmm. Way of of doing things. I have no idea how it's done now. Yeah. My wife tells me I wouldn't last a day anymore. So mm -hmm. there you go. Right. So. So Jimmy, so what? So your title? You were just a frontline officer. Like, what was your title? So I worked uh, three years on the front line in Pickering and Ajax. Mm -hmm. Four years, sorry. Then I got into gangs. So I became a detective constable, uh, working in gangs. Okay. I worked uh, in gangs till two thousand, from two thousand four till two thousand nine. Okay. Left under some pretty bad circumstances in 2009. Mm -hmm. um, then 2011, I got into, uh, I think it was 2011 or 2012. Luckily, I have, I'm, um, I have this, I don't want to sound like friggin', uh, What's that movie taken? But I do have a skill set that is <laughs> don't, don't, don't. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a really good okay. Uh, um, I don't want to say undercover because it's not undercover. It's plain I'm a really good plain clothes officer and I can write warrants very well and very quick. Okay. I've been in judges' houses in the middle of the night, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, because of that and my ability to lead surveillance teams and all that stuff. I've been picked out many times to go work long-term projects. So after about 2011, um, I was always assigned to criminal investigations as a detective constable and just work different wiretaps and surveillance projects and undercover projects. Mm -hmm. So uh, 2016, I believe it was, when I stopped policing. Okay. Yeah, I want even I want to get into that too after, but um, with policing, there's a few things I want to ask you. But you know, if you can't talk about it, let me know. I'm, and I'm sure you can talk about things that were in the paper and things like yeah. that too. That's fine. But um, when we talk about the wiretapping and listening to surveillance, that could be tedious, right? Because you're you're listening. I don't even know what it is. I don't want to speak on something I don't know, but. You're trying to find out information, listening for keywords, listening for location, listening for names. Can you even touch on that a little bit? Um, so luckily, um, I've worked inside wire rooms. Mm -hmm. but luckily, that's not what I had to do. Okay. Was, 
Um, typically, you have a bunch of monitors working inside the wire room who are actively typing out everything they're hearing. Mm-hmm. They are all really good at picking up buzzwords and code words. There's also officers in there, usually part of the investigative team, like the mm-hmm. leads. When they hear something that they're like, eh, this might be something, they notify them. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, those guys are all listening too. They've got their own computers, their own headsets. They're listening. They're going into different calls, blah, blah, blah. Um, I was always one of the guys on the team for mm-hmm. the most part, running a, a surveillance team mm-hmm. um, or doing takedowns or whatever. So any information that would need to be acted on, I'd get the phone call. Oh, okay. Where are you guys now? We're here doing this. We're on this guy. We're watching this, whatever. So that's kind of how that part would play out. Mm-hmm. And um, I know there must have been a lot of cases you were involved with that I read about or were on the news, but is there anything that shocked you or um, something you weren't prepared for? I know you had the training for it, but can you get into any any stories like that that were like, damn? So not prepared for? Um, I would say no. Um, in terms of that body of work, the you know the intelligence branch or the criminal investigations area, um, there was nothing that shocked me per se. Mm-hmm. Um, we were. I was involved. I was the the warrant writer for what was at the time the biggest um, drug seizure. Uh, importing cocaine from the Dominican Republic into Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I know the ins and like, regardless, I knew the ins and outs and, you know, how far sweeping it was and hearing the calls and all that, I guess. But it's not like, it wasn't overwhelming or I wasn't unprepared for it. I was just like, wow, this is pretty cool. Like, this is how big this thing has gotten. Yeah. Um, in terms of, um, yeah, in terms of not prepared, no. Mm-hmm. that I wasn't prepared to hear or see or anything like that. I have been in situations where um, I didn't think it would go that bad. <laughs> like, okay. But um, in terms of that scope, like uh, that side of, of, of work, no. Like there was just a lot of, uh, you know, it was a lot of work. I, I mean, I, I worked uh, two um, two of the biggest investigations I ever worked on. One was a giant firearms break and enter, 40 handguns stolen from a guy's house. And you can imagine within hours, they're all over the city. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the work that went into that, I remember not being home. I had a, my daughter was two and a half, three years old at the time. I was, you know, we were split. I had my daughter on my days, you know, and she was with me. It was Thursday. Um, and I remember like bringing my daughter into the courthouse to go sit with the justice of the peace mm-hmm. to, get, to sign my warrant. So like, I remember being, you know, four days, no sleep, going to see Curious George. Yeah. Falling asleep in the theater, like, because that Jack Johnson sings those lullaby songs. <laughs> <laughs> and my three-year-old, four-year-old, whatever she was, waking me. And being like, wow, this is messed, man. Like, that part of it shocks me. But yeah. not the actual work. Okay. Actual work. So now, with how, how was it balancing the, the family and work life, though, too, man? You know, four days on, four days off. Things must change when you're on these assignments. 
But how was that part of it? Because your daughter was young too. Yeah, so um, I don't, my first failed marriage, um, had, I, don't, I don't have multiple failed marriages. Just one. <laughs> that. Yeah. I was too young, I'm too stupid. I don't give it any, um, nothing to the job. We weren't meant to be together. We still don't like each other. They, it were, it's this and no more than that. I don't give anything to the job. Mm -hmm. uh, working straight afternoons in um, in gangs, because that's all I worked, straight afternoons, it left me um, really open. To, it wasn't tough on my family life because it was just me and my daughter. Okay. What it did on my days with her, mm -hmm. what it did is it removed my ability um, to be as involved as I would have liked. Yeah. And it also removed, and uh, I don't know if you've been split or anybody that's watching has been split. Um, there's always that tug of war, right? Mm -hmm. And it removed my ability to, I, I had no bargaining power because mm -hmm. I was left, like I worked for the last four days. If she doesn't, the schedule we always had was that I would get my daughter three days she would have my daughter four days so that I would always have to pay child support. That's the game, right? Yeah. So when your four days turns into six days or seven days or nine days or 15 days, yeah. Mm -hmm. Now you're kind of at her mercy, right? Because you're picking between your job and your kid. And it's not like there's a choice, but you, like, you know, it's your job, man. You got to go to work. Yeah. It's, it, you have to go to work. So, on that side, I would say I failed. I just gone back to uniform, said, screw this. I had my daughter four days, my three days, my four days off. Mm -hmm. Just loved life. At that time, I had chosen to work. Yeah. Wow. I was young, right? I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. like, the right choice, I don't know. Me and my daughter have a great relationship. So, did yeah. it affect her? I don't know. Yeah. I see the pictures, man. Happy yeah. pictures, man. Yeah. My, my daughter, she's my angel. You know, like there's a, it's funny. I was trying to, I, I figured at some point we'd talk about kids, right? Yeah. And I know you got a daughter. And mm -hmm. I say, like, there's a difference, right? So the daughter is the one that will um, open your heart to love. Yeah. Your son will open your, your, your heart to dreams. All the wow. dreams that I have are for him. I didn't have dreams for my daughter because I couldn't relate. I wanted her to do well in life, and I just wanted to love her and be safe. Mm -hmm. I don't have dreams for her. For him, though, whew. I, I, in my mind, I've already got him, you know, over here. He's already up there. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not being sexist. And it's, I don't know if it's right or wrong, mm -hmm. but my daughter is my daughter, man. She's my soft spot. And even if we get mad at each other, like, you know, she's always daddy's girl. Yeah. But him, he's the champ. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, let, let, I got one more question about yeah. law enforcement too, but let's just touch on that. So, when we were planning to do the interview, you said, you know, we're going to do it after the birth of my yeah. my child, right? So that happened. How was that experience, man? Because <laughs> there's a gap between your daughter and your son. And uh, how are things now? So, uh, you know what? It was a long three days in the hospital. Luckily, we were at Sunnybrook. Everything went well. Mm -hmm. um, natural childbirth. The kid's a monster. So it took a long time to get him out. <laughs> yeah. Um, they had to use the forceps. Okay. which we were scared of, but everything's okay. Like, 
he's a good, healthy boy. You know, every, everything worked out. My wife's healthy. You know, she's back to working out and trying to lose the the mommy weight, and everybody's good, man. It's it's just it's been it's wild, right? Because forty eight years old this year, yeah, and uh, the vibe is totally different. You know, when they're little, when, uh, you first go around, right? Mm-hmm. You're worried about are they pooing? Are they peeing? Are they this? Are they that? Now you you're just like whatever, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're not worried about it. You're not worried about the same things at all. My yeah. wife was all those things. Mm-hmm. I was sitting there with the mirror, seeing if he's breathing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just heard him take a crap. He's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Nice man. Um, it's all good. What's his name? What's his name? Nicholas, after my dad. Nicholas. Yes. Oh, amazing. Okay. I'm glad you touched on that that family life. There's one thing I want to say. I want to know if it's true, man. Because yep. I've heard it from many different police officers. I've heard them say, like, if if we knew what, I'm just going to say Toronto. This is where I'm from, yeah. man. If I knew what Toronto was really like or people knew the average person, they would be they would be scared to go out their house. So I don't know how true that is because I go out every day. I'm not worried. But I know there's an element of society that you don't want to be a part of, man, because there's a dangerous element out there. But, um... There's a lot of things that go on that we don't know. Absolutely. And it's probably for the best, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, not that I want to get into government preaching and stuff, but here's my two seconds on the government. The government it always looks to what's easy, the big target. Mm-hmm. It's, it's easy to blame this. It's easy to do this. And it makes it look, because <clears throat> I'm going to be honest, I feel that COVID I, I never had that much. I felt there's a lot of good people in the world, but I don't know about a lot of bright people. Mm-hmm. Just in general. Mm-hmm. I feel like COVID made everybody dumb. Mm-hmm. I see it when I go to the market. I see it like people have lost their, um, just the, the general etiquette of life anymore. Right. So now, you know, you take people and you, you bombard them with, tons of shootings that happened this weekend and they think Toronto's burning down, right? Like, yeah, there's always been shit. There's just more media, more coverage. Yeah. And they love finding that negative stuff. I didn't see them talking about fundraisers. Mm-hmm. I didn't see them talking about, you know, they, they spent three days on the kid and good for them. They spent three days on the kid. CB24 did. The kid that got his friggin' stand stolen. You see that a couple of weeks ago? He's selling baked goods. And some jackass comes up and steals his stand and his baked goods, right? That he was Wait, where did this happen? Oh, I'm sure. no, I, didn't, I didn't hear about that. Yeah. So, you know, they spent the next three days talking about the Good Samaritans that came by and did this and did that. And that's great. Mm-hmm. It happens like once in a while, man. All the good things that go on, nobody brings them up. Yeah. Is Toronto dangerous? Sure. Mm-hmm. All those dangerous, man. If you're not out buying Coke at two in the morning, don't worry so much. You'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we lose, and that's what I mean. Like, people have lost common sense. Yeah. Very minimal to begin with. COVID put a bunch of people in their houses for two years, feeding them sugar and crap. Mm. No exercise, no oxygen, no nothing. And whatever your stance is on vaccines or whatever, the basic fundamentals are we were stuck in our houses for two years and got dumber. Mm-hmm. Dumber because we can only talk to person beside us and watch that fucking TV. Yeah. We all got dumb. And now you inundate them with information 
And it becomes way more blown up than it needs to be because their minds can't grasp it. We can't put it in perspective anymore. Yeah. Is it worse than it was when we were growing up? I don't know, man. Maybe it's more violent because there's better weapons, but or because more people are poor. I don't know. But I think a big part of it is the media. Yeah. Oh, I, I definitely agree. And I believe these things went on too when we were younger a lot. Um, but we didn't hear about it because, you know, we only had the Toronto Sun, Toronto Star, uh, your CTV news. But um, get on that point, though, what I think is getting worse, but I'm sure it was still there, the mental health. Because, you know, in my job, I work with police as well, right? And it's not only in policing, which I want to get into the mental health that police are um, experiencing, but the average person now, you hear they have some kind of anxiety, depression, mental health, schizophrenia. There's a list of things, bipolar. But how was that um, in, in policing now? Um, did you see it a lot or? Yeah, yeah. You know what? Um, you did see it a lot. Um, the system is broken, right? We know this. So police have the ability, if you're going to hurt yourself or someone else to apprehend you under the mental health act, Mm -hmm. to the hospital they have to babysit you till you're admitted once you're admitted you're there for 72 hours in the 72 hours they give you your drugs you start to feel better by the 72 second hour you're saying all the right things so wow. i let you out the door then mm -hmm. what happens once you get out the door you stop taking your meds and the cycle the cycle it's a cycle it's a, it's a vicious cycle. I don't know how to fix it. There's bigger brains that have known about it than me for a long, long time. And it's just the system and it's an unfortunate. And, it, and it's gotten to a point where if um, you don't take responsibility for your own health, mm -hmm. physical, mental, or otherwise, nobody's going to take care of you. Like um, my wife during the pregnancy, we went to the hospital. She had abdominal pain. We went to Sunnybrook, man. Mm -hmm. like Sunnybrook you know what I mean you, if I'm shot you take me to Sunnybrook best like, hospital boy. best yeah. hospital mm -hmm. um, she had abdominal pains they made her sit there for 10 hours before they took a test and it could have been a piss test a blood test pregnant woman with abdominal pains man 10 hours before mm -hmm. we started losing our shit mm -hmm. and then finally someone with half a brain was like yeah why haven't we done these tests mm -hmm. right? like blood testing, a urine test, stuff that could have been done easy, they didn't do, right? If you don't take your health seriously and, and be the biggest advocate for your mental health and your physical health, no one else will. They'll leave you in that hospital for 10 hours pregnant or not. They don't care. Man. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not um, barking at nurses or doctors or anything. It's a system. It's a, it's a system. It's a yeah. problem, man. You got nurses that are worked to the bone, doctors that have they are heavily worked but they also have uh i'll, I'll be quite honest i'm not a huge fan of doctors mm -hmm. but, um there's there's nothing holding them accountable mm -hmm. at all like you you got buddy there getting up on cp24 saying whatever and then a week later saying something different who holds anybody accountable to the doctors it's like the, it's like a judge right they've got the magic certificate and nobody ever says anything bad. Mm -hmm. Nurses get held out to dry. Paramedics get held out to dry. Cops get held out to dry. Firemen get, firemen not so much. But mm -hmm. everybody else does. Doctors don't. They can do whatever, men, mm -hmm. And they go to cover their trail. And that's it, right? So 
I, I'm a really big advocate of, you know what, you got to be healthy. You got to take care of yourself. Um, yeah, I smoked my whole life. I've drank my whole life. I've done all these bad things. Mm. As you get older, you got to start knowing which ones to start peeling back and getting back under control, right? Right. So, right. That's it, right? Okay. And now, since we're talking about mental health, um, what what happened to you in policing now? So we're talking 2022. And um, I, I swear I seen a post of you having surgery it was back surgery yeah. or something, right? That, that was totally unrelated to police. Unrelated. But I need you to talk about both of them because yeah. I seen a post. I was so proud, man. I was like, wow, oh, Jimmy, yeah. you went through this and now you're walking. Like, just yeah. touch on both for me, how, where you are, what stage in police, your career, and then also the surgery you went through. So I suffer from PTSD. So effectively, my policing career is over. It's been over since 2016. Okay. Um, I, uh, I will touch on the one kind of, um, there's a ton of reasons. Um, uh, sorry, a ton of factors. Um, but there is one particular thing that's, you know, affects me. Um, and I deal with it and it comes and goes and there's not any, you know, there's no magic cure. But uh, I don't know if uh, you've paid attention at all to the recent um um, case with the the guy that uh, killed his girlfriend and her kids in Ajax. He was, he was yeah. convicted. Yeah. Yeah. So remember that time period I was telling you about 2011, 2010, 2011, 2012, around there, whatever it was, I got, I went back to uniform before I went to criminal investigations, mm -hmm. working in uniform and pickering. And I get a call to a bar. And uh, I, I won't even repeat this guy's name because he's such a piece of shit. He doesn't deserve his name spoken ever. Okay. And you can look up who he is once I give you the situation. You'll know exactly who he is. I, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. So um, he, I get called to a bar fight. Whatever, right? Like it's at like the, I don't know, like the bear in the firkin or something. So you know, it's like whatever. A bunch of guys drink too much. Whatever. So I walk up and uh, the guy that's doing the pushing and shoving, I kind of just grab him, like to pull him away from the trouble. Because, you know, like just everybody go home kind of thing, right? I'm not looking to arrest nobody. Well, he stands up and the guy's a giant. He's like 6'6", six, six, 300 pounds, solid muscle. And the fight's on right away. He's trying to take the head right off my shoulders. Um, hit him with my baton. I don't know how many times. Didn't do a thing to him. Couldn't rock him. Couldn't get him off his feet. At one point, I actually, you're trained to hit arms and legs. Big chunky beef, right? Not hit people in the neck and the head and stuff. Because then lock them up, right? Mm -hmm. I was in such fear for my life that uh, I actually swiped right in the head. Just cracked him. Two-hand crack him with a baton right across the head. Ripped his, I didn't hit him in the head. I ended up catching him in the neck. Ripped his entire neck. It split open like a, like, like a bag of chips. Just like, psh, didn't stop him at all. He was now going like this, trying to grab my baton, coming at me. At that moment, I would have been justified to pull my gun out and end that man's life. And I would have. Because I was so worried about, because I had just gone through some shit in the department a couple years earlier. I was so worried about being judged and scrutinized. And the, the whole gong show that is that I didn't do it. 
just kept fighting and fighting and fighting. Finally, officers showed up. There was enough of them. He got tackled to the ground, handcuffed, blocked, tased, you name it, everything. I didn't have a taser that night either. Um, but he did get tased by the sergeant on scene. Anyways, get him back to the cells. He's destroying the cells. He's a, he's a monster. Fast forward five years, he kills his wife or his girlfriend and her kids. And all this world is so small. My daughter's boyfriend was the backup goalie on his Flyers hockey team. So like there's another level of closeness. You know what I mean? So that to me, the level of guilt that, uh, especially when it comes up, sits with me. Mm. Uh, it's kind of bullshit, man. That guy, I, I, I was afraid of the consequences in the organization, in the system, and didn't do what was right. What I should have done is killed that man. He should have been dead. I would have been fine. I would have been justified. I, I know it. Yeah, I'd have gone to trial. They would have charged me with murder. I'd have gone to trial. I know. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to go through that stuff. You know what I mean? Like, for what? For this guy? Like, just hold on, hold on, hold on. So I'm bargaining with myself. Hold on. Just keep fighting. Just keep fighting. Someone will come and help. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit, it happened. But that's where it starts to, being a cop won't play with you, right? Because I'm, I'm a... 6'1", 250 pounds. Okay, I was 230 then, 235. Yeah. There's a lot of people that are, you know, 5'4", 140 pounds. You know what I mean? Like, they're absolutely justified to shoot that man. (laughs) They really are. Mm -hmm. But they'll have those same worries. And then so they say, you know, yeah, when you become a cop, you know there's, there is uh, a level of danger and, you know, but it is a hard pill to swallow when you're sitting there going shit this guy might kill me he's trying to like i just gave him everything i'm out of breath singing and this guy's trying to get my baton and it turns out he was all coked up and he's a giant you know he's a giant on coke like what are you gonna do right but uh, that one that one doesn't sit well with me and i don't don't foresee a day it ever will i I feel you know it's uh it's a shitty uh, i don't necessarily blame myself but i kind of do and uh, it really is a shitty situation. It's a shitty system. Mm-hmm. It's one more example of a shitty system that we have in Canada that does that to people. So that's my two cents on that one. Well, Jim, um, I'm, um, thanks for sharing this because I knew there's something you, you you had to get off your chest or even tell me too. Um, I didn't know it was to this level. But um, thanks for sharing that, man. It really, really helps to. See, this is what it does. And this is what people don't get. And this is why I'm not ashamed to say it. Because as men, we go through shit too. You put your sunglasses on and pretend it doesn't fucking exist. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> so now my back. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> be take your time. <laughs> These shades has helped me a couple times <laughs> in a couple interviews, man. I was just thinking those are nice. I should have brought mine. <laughs> <laughs> 
down here in my dungeon and I'm looking. <laughs> ah, I know. I know, man. Before before you do get into your yeah. back though, you saw you saw someone, right? <laughs> Sorry? You saw someone like you know the professional how you you, you talked it through, right? You talked it through. Uh, I've been seeing someone for years. Yeah. And um I I I don't hide anything. I've been with Cam H. Um been um I keep going through the Cam H programs that they have there as well. Um I have a lot of issues. One of when we had our restaurant, one of um our one of the places we always gave money and did fundraisers for was Wounded Warriors. That's what we were talking about earlier. I said, Wounded Warriors? Because that's where my head went, right? Okay. Um, and I don't know if you know Wounded Warriors, but Wounded Warriors is an uh, organization that uh, creates awareness and uh, tries to generate money for programs f- to help people who suffer from PTSD, uh, military people, you know, uh, amb- ambulance, ambulance, paramedics, uh, you know, because it's not just cops. It's not just military. Mm-hmm. How long can you Go see dead bodies over and over and over before it starts affecting you. Paramedics do it all the time. Firemen do it all the time. Dude, I don't, I, people I know have died and I can't go near that coffin to say with proper respect. George Katrubis. Oh yeah, George. When George passed away, when George was, let's be honest, George was murdered. When George was murdered, I was working in the division. I was, I I spoke with the investigators from Peel that were investigating because they knew how close George and I Mm-hmm. Um, George and I had gone to Cancun together. We partied together. We were at each other's weddings. Um, I couldn't get within 10 feet of George. It, it was just like, oh, I've seen enough death in my life, man. I've been to enough calls of dead bodies. I don't need no more. Like, yeah. I'm good. There's a cumulative effect, man, that people don't realize. And, it, like, you, to this day, I have this unwarranted, stupid fear of death. I'm worried about dying constantly, man. Why? <laughs> mm-hmm. There's no reason for it. It's, it's, it's unnatural. It's unhealthy to, to ponder it. And I'm not sitting there saying I want to kill myself. I'm sitting there saying I'm worried about dying. Like, shit, I might turn that way and die. Like, no. Like, so for me, you know, the health thing, the, the grounding myself with weights and, and taking care of my brain and watching. It, so it's funny. It's a, Someone that's so afraid of dying, I have a baby who, you know, like the reality of it is, is that is I'm not going to see make 30. I'm going to be gone before, right? Like if you look at the stats, hopefully not, but if you look at the stats, but that renewal there, that it gives me something else to focus on, something fun, something good. You know what I mean? It's, it's so I, I struggle with that all the time too, but these are the, like, there's so many, when you're talking PTSD, my situation can be totally different than yours and how it affects you. Dude, there was years that I would go on two hours of sleep. Years. We'd go to bed at 11, I was up at one. I would throw the littlest thing, I would throw a temper tantrum in my back, my backyard, like a grown man throwing temper tantrums because it's just so much emotion and rage bent up and no outlet. So yeah, I started seeing somebody. Mm-hmm. I do this, I do that. You have to, because you have to be the biggest advocate for your own health. Nobody else cares. <laughs> I mean, like they don't. You come here alone. You gotta enjoy your your time here, man. Like, so I, I take care of my health as best I can. You know, like, it's a big thing to me. And knock on wood, it's only this year and only in the last couple of weeks that I ever got on any medication, and it's from my uh, I have high blood pressure. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. I gotta take care of that bad boy too. So, 
Wow. Wow. This, this, man, this is, this real talk is real talk, man. This, this episode, um, mm -hmm. it's enlightening too. Um, now you're back though, Jim, mm -hmm. what happened? So I don't know per se what sparked it. We, we had the restaurant and I was over at the restaurant one day and, uh, I was just like, ah, my back doesn't feel good, right? Mm -hmm. So I let it go a couple of days. I'm stretching. I'm going to the chiropractor. I'm going for physio. Nothing's doing it. And then, I mean, this is not, I'm not advocating or um, saying anything bad for chiropractors. I go to the chiropractor one day. The, about an hour later, I couldn't move. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, my wife's like, yeah, this is not cool. Let's go to the hospital. So we go to the hospital, uh, doctor comes in, oh, you got sciatica, we'll book you for an MRI, you'll come in for an MRI this week. Give me a bunch of drugs, send me on my way. It was so bad that, uh, like when I say I couldn't walk, I couldn't walk, I was crawling on the ground. I actually spent three months sleeping on a, on a lazy boy because I couldn't sleep anywhere, I couldn't get anywhere else. I had a piss jug beside me and my wife and my daughter would help me go to the bathroom and I had to go to number two. Mm -hmm. um, no call for an MRI ever. <laughs> wow. Yeah, just popping pills. Mm -hmm. pills and nothing's getting better. And now, not only is it not getting better, um, things are going numb. Like my legs are Extremities? Yeah, I'm starting to lose feeling in my legs. Feet are starting to go purple. Um, it's not good, right? So mm -hmm. Father's Day... That weekend, my wife's like, yeah, you got to go to the hospital. I said, so what year? What year is this now? This would have been 2020, 20, 2021, 20, 20, no, 2020. 2020, 2020 COVID. 2020. Okay. Father's Day 2020. Okay. My wife's like, you got to go to the hospital. I said, I'm not ruining Father's Day. We're Father's Day, I'll go to the hospital tomorrow. Why? Tomorrow. I've already lived like this for three months. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, my daughter's here. Like, we're, we're going to have Father's Day. We have Father's Day. The next day, she takes me to the hospital. It's so bad that they want to put me in an emergency MRI, but they can't actually get me lying down. I'm like so, like, I can't lie there for anything. Yeah. Drug me and drug me and drug me. They actually drugged me so much to get me sedated for an MRI that they brought in a doctor with a defibrillator. Jeez. I had a heart attack during the MRI because there was so much drugs in me. Mm -hmm. uh, they pull me out and right away put me in an ambulance and send me to Sunnybrook. <laughs> so you know things can't be good then, right? Yeah. COVID's going on. My wife can't come in the hospitals with me. But they are talking with her. She actually got into Oshawa hospital because she's a cop and they know her there they let her in with me but they you know they bent the rules for that one but mm -hmm. Sunnybrook wasn't letting her in mm -hmm. two in the morning they um two in the morning one or two in the morning i go in for my surgery three or four in the morning they call her and the words that they tell her are the surgery went fantastic um the nerve damage is so bad we don't know if he's ever going to walk again Chances are this surgery wouldn't have gone well if he wasn't as built as he is, if he wasn't as muscular and as strong as he is. His lower back is very strong. But uh, so what had happened is I had actually, my discs had slipped. When when they say slipped, everybody has a different kind of understanding of what it is. Mm -hmm. So a slip, 
typically when people have a slip disc, it's not a slip disc. It's a little cut on the disc and it flaps. So like if you looked at like a, you know, a circle, it has a little flap. You know, like when you cut yourself and you can push your skin back down? Okay, yeah. Your disc. Okay. When it does that, there's a million nerves running through. So the nerves kill, right? Yeah. Then finally heals and goes back, right? Mine actually shot out of my vertebrae. Two discs actually shot out of my vertebrae. So they had to remove them. They were tangled up in my spinal cord and it had caused all the problems. And from having it for three months or four months or whatever it was by that point, untreated, they were like, yeah, we don't know. Then in the morning, they called her again. So I was crashed. They called her again and she asked how, how I am. And they were going to keep me for another day, I think. And they're like, he's already up. He's he's using the walker and it's not pretty, but he's in the bathroom peeing. Yeah. And then I came back and the doctor came to see me and he's like, he's like, okay, so what? I said, why am I here now? And he's like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, why am I here? He's like, well, we need to give you a day to, you know, recuperate from the surgery. You know, it went very well, but this and that. I was like, are you going to teach me anything here that I can't do at home? And they're like, no, we're not even, you're not even going to go to physio. We're not even going to, we're going to make sure you know how to walk on a walker. That's all. Yeah. I was like, okay. So they showed me how to walk on a walker. That afternoon, my wife came and picked me up. I came home. I sat on that couch with little tennis balls, little soccer balls, with the, trying to get the movement back in my toes, playing with my toes, playing, you know, trying to kick the balls, trying to squeeze the ball. Eventually, it started to work. Eventually, I started to, you know, my toes started to work. And then my feet started to work. Um, then all of a sudden, I could walk with the walker pretty good. Like, it was ugly. Like, I... Like, it was awful. Yeah. But I was doing it. And then one day, my buddy Paul um, comes over, and I was still smoking at the time, mm-hmm. standing at my back door, and I had the sliding door open. I knew he was coming, and he just walks in my house. I'm like, come out here, see something. And he'd come out, and I had no walker. And I was just standing there on my own. Wow. And he was just like, he was almost in tears. He was like, we were, like, looking to sell the house, dude. Yeah. A house that was a bungalow put one of those friggin' chair lifts on it. Like we were looking at every option. We didn't know if it was yeah. ever going to come, but then I got back to grinding in the gym and stuff. And I feel like I actually got in the best shape of my life after recovering from that. And it was like, that was the drive. Like I was not going to, there was no way mm-hmm. I was not going to walk again. You know what I mean? And I just did it. Man. <laughs> and to First, this day, I don't have a left calf. Like my left calf is gone. I don't have a left calf. It just the muscle disappeared. Oh, really? Damage. Yeah, you see my right calf, it's there. My left leg just is a straight line. Really? Oh, Whatever. wow. <laughs> Whatever. That, that's amazing, though. Yo, yeah. you inspired me with that story, man. You did your self rehabilitation, man. Amazing. Yeah. Take care of yourself, man. Take care of yourself. Yo, this this podcast is going down in history, man. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> this is this this is this is the one, man. Um, okay, Jim, this, this has been amazing. So mm. there's two more things left. We come to the point in the interview. Now I got, uh, two cards in my hand and you're going to ask me to read out the left one or the right one. Let me know which one you want me to read. You're right. So we've covered so many things. I don't know if there's going to be something else, but Name one challenging thing you had to overcome in life. Uh, shit, there's, there's still so many more, man. 
that my next challenge, my next challenge is uh, my wife and I are going to embark on um, a new business. Uh, we want to own rental properties throughout the Caribbean, um, affordable for families. Make it feel like you're in a you know five-star hotel, get treated like a five-star hotel, but understand that, you know what, we all don't have five-star money. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the next challenge. That's that's the next one we're at. Okay. And since you mentioned that, we've talked so much today about policing. I love the stories and and challenges you went through. Um, so I want to have your wife on later mm -hmm. on because she has her own business too. I don't know if you're part of it too, right? I help her. Right right side mortgage? Is it right side? Right now mortgages is her. Right now mortgage. Yeah. OG Greek catering is mine. Yeah. And so I do catering. She does the mortgages, but we both have the education in mortgages. Mm -hmm. So if she needs me to help some paperwork, I'm allowed. Yeah. Because FSRA won't even let you push a piece of paper. I'm sure people do it, but they don't mm -hmm. let you unless you've got their, their course. So I've, I've learned how to do mortgages too. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's going to be a whole episode in itself. Uh, I love it. A lot to talk about. Okay. Perfect. Now, the last thing you have to do. When I first started Real Talk, I had three balloons and I had Chariot of My Choosing. Um, but in season four, um, my guest is choosing the charity that I'm going to donate to. And I think I know which one it's going to be. But what charity will I be donating to chosen by you? It will not be Wounded Warriors. I know that's what you were thinking. Oh, okay. And not for any other reason that I'm a big believer that it's time that uh, we start looking at the youth and start helping the younger and, and the charity that you're involved with, with, with the the warriors, the thirty, yeah. um, I don't know the dynamics of it, but if there's any charity that you're part of that you're taking care of kids, mm -hmm. give them maybe a little bit of our old school kind of way. You know what I mean? A, a little bit of logic vibes that way. Mm -hmm. I would love to also contribute there. So you, I, I, I'm not asking you to jump on anything of mine. I would mm -hmm. love to jump on yours. Oh my gosh. This is amazing. All right, Jimmy. So yeah, um, it's funny when I interviewed Victoria, my first guest and my 40th guest. I want her to do me, by the way. Oh yeah? yeah? I was gonna say to you, we should do a show where she puts a tattoo on me. And we're let's, talking about it. Yo, let's do it. Because <laughs> We're getting our dog that passed away, Ginger, my wife and I. My daughter is supposed to get it. I don't know if she's going to get it. My daughter's got ours, too, on her. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So we're going to get um, Ginger's face tattooed by Victoria. But that's cool. Yo, yeah, we'll... anytime, if she wants to do tattoo, I'll come sit and we can do it in your basement. <laughs> you there. And you can talk to both of us, man. Yo, let's, let's do it up. Here. Yeah. She's actually going to come here in December to get it done. It might be a birthday gift for you. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. So what I'm going to do, so when I had Victoria on, I, I donated to Claus, Kawartha Lakes Animal Wellness Society, because uh, I had um, someone on there before, Stacy. But I'm going to donate to the Fundraiser Warriors again. So that's what Star Scorpio will be donating to. And you send me their information so I can do the same, please. Definitely. Most definitely. Thank you. All right. So now we're wrapping season four, episode eight with Real Talk with Star Scorpio with my man, Jimmy Z. Thank you, Jimmy. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And we out.